Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. Today we have Allison Becker, who is a writer, comedian, actor, and producer, but probably best known for her reoccurring role on Parks and Recreation as Shauna Malway Tweet, um, the adorable and often unlucky in love reporter in Pawnee, who, how many, how many episodes were you on with that show? Oh gosh, 15, I think. Yeah, you, you know, my husband and I recently rewatched because you know, when the world's going to hell, what do you do? You watch Perks and Rat because it's the only thing that makes you feel better about life. And it was funny knowing you now. I'm like, oh, hey, there she is. Oh, gosh, she's on this one too. Oh, man. And I was definitely in the back of my mind without saying it out loud, being like, you got a lot of rot blow time. I was really, oh, I did. really feeling that for you. But anyway, so welcome to the party, Allison. I'm so excited to have you here. You're my first official working actor. Oh, wow. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'm so excited. I mean, I always start out with the question, what did you want to be when you grew up? And usually people say actor, dancer, performer, <laughs> but then, you know, it goes to hell at some point in their career. And it sounds like, you know, and maybe you wanted to be a rocket scientist when you grew up and it went to hell for you technically too, but I'll let you get to that. So what did little Allison want to be when she grew up? Well, my first dream was to be a veterinarian. Okay. That's also top five. Yeah, I would imagine. Um, And I think I'm just not good with blood and guts, especially like seeing an animal in pain. I just can't deal with it. Um, So yeah, I wanted to be an actor as well from a pretty young age and and a writer and I'm both. That's pretty exciting. Yeah. You did it. (laughs) Sometimes I have to remind myself because it can in many ways feel like, um, like not a real job because a lot of it's waiting around and like, um, being between jobs. So sometimes I just have to remind myself, I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm a professional artist. That's like a thing. You're doing the damn thing. You're doing what a lot of people, you know, really want to do, but don't have the, the bravery and the balls to follow through or the stupidity, you know, whatever it's a comment. I think the people that are doing what they love are a little bit naive and, and how hard it really is. And, Good yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's stupidity. Maybe it's just blind optimism, but who cares? It's working. I'll take it. That's amazing. So did you pursue, did you go to college for acting? Did you grow up going to acting camps? How did you pursue it? I, when I was young, I started acting in school plays and stuff. Um, I cannot sing and a lot of plays when you're younger are musicals. True. So, uh, I was really, you know, it was hard for me because <laughs> they were like, no, no, you're not going to get the lead and anything goes as a seven-year-old. Um, but then I, I went to school for writing. I went to Georgetown in DC um, and they at the time had a terrible theater department. Now it's, it's since expanded, but I'm kind of glad that I didn't go to school for theater and acting and drama because nothing against people who do, but those were skills that I acquired just by doing, mm-hmm. um, by being in plays, by, uh, I started doing the improv troupe at Georgetown. Um, and that's how I got into comedy. And especially when you do comedy, you need other life experience to pull from. So if you're just studying acting and you're just hanging out with actors, you really don't have anything but acting to think and talk about. And I wanted to be in other things. So that's why I like to travel a lot. And I love to date people who are not in the industry and just to be like, what's your job like? Like, what's it like working in an office? What's being a real person like? Exactly. Yeah. Because then I have things to pull from. 
No, that's totally true. When I was in undergrad, I was a journalism major originally. And my professor was like, honestly, get out of this, go get a major in something else and just write about it. Exactly. You know? So it kind of sounds like the exact same thing there. Exactly. It's like, get that real world experience and learn about other things and then do the thing that comes naturally to you using those as, as reference points. Absolutely. And so you graduated with a degree in writing then? I did. Um, it, the way it worked at Georgetown was I was an English major with a concentration in writing and have not until recent, I've always written, um, I've done like a lot of sketch comedy and stuff like that, but I only recently, and by recently, I mean past like three to five years have started writing like screenplays. Mm -hmm. um, I work mostly with partners. Uh, my main writing partner is a woman named Kimmy Gatewood. She's on the uh, Netflix show Glow. She's yes. on The Wrestlers. Glow yeah, she's one, of, she's one of the be down biddies. Um, and she and I are currently writing two movies. And that was kind of a thing. Again, I just kind of learned by doing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we've all seen a ton of movies mm -hmm. and I've read so many scripts. And this is interesting. What motivates me to write is not reading a good script because that's intimidating to me. What motivates me to write is reading a bad script, which unfortunately I get to read a lot of because um, I'll audition for them. And when I read a bad script, I just look at it and I'm like, oh, I can do this. Hmm. Granted, it's not that easy. Sure. But no, that's good motivation. It's always that yeah. my motivation version of that is like seeing somebody get on stage and do like a talk or something and just bomb it, but still get paid $10,000. Right. Exactly. Like that. And you're like, what the hell? I can do that. Exactly. So that's kind of how I feel when I'm, yeah, when I'm reading a bad script. Um, but then that said, when you're actually doing it, you're like, oh, wait, I have a lot more respect for even that person who wrote the shitty script because this is hard. Um, but Kimmy and I work really well together. Um, I love writing jokes, as does she, but she's also very good at structure. Um, so I've learned a lot from her in that way. And we just, yeah, we are, we both like just like to work. Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been a fun adventure because I still consider myself an actor, but in the past like two years, I really shifted more to writing, which is scary and exciting. It's exciting because it's newer for me and with acting, it's a lot of waiting around. And with writing, when I'm between gigs, I can just like write and create and work and feel like I'm doing stuff. But it's scary because financially, it's, I'm not as known as a writer. So I'm kind of starting over in many ways. Um, so it's just a little like of a, <clears throat> it's a little bit of a reality check in many ways to be like, oh, Oh yeah, I'm not just gonna get like offered jobs. Okay, I gotta work a little harder at this. Right. I mean, it's got. Do you feel like the connections you've made and the experience you've gained as an actor is helping open more doors than it would if you were just coming oh. in clean? Absolutely. And I'm known as an actor and comedian, so people know I can create. So yeah, I'm not. I'm absolutely not walking in blindly. Um, it's not like I'm starting from zero, but I'm starting from like a five. Yeah. <laughs> What is it about the two different, I guess, careers between acting and writing um, that you like that are kind of different from one another? Like, what are the highs and lows of each? Um, the lows of acting are, unfortunately, just like, it's a lot of body image stuff yeah. and how you look and how old you are. And well, talk about that, your audition looks, which you post on Instagram <laughs> and I die over every time. Thanks. Every time what you get a script or a couple script. First of all, it seems like you go on so many auditions. I go on a lot of auditions. I don't know how you have the stamina and the like emotional capacity to do that. So Godspeed. And I, I you know, value that for you. Um, 
but yeah, so tell us about these audition, like what are they called when they like give you the description of, of who they're looking for? It's called a breakdown. And the way it works is a, a script will be written and then it's sent to a casting director and the casting director will have to cast all the parts of the script, whether it's a movie, a commercial, um, TV show, whatever. And that casting director will write a description for each character and it's called a breakdown and it'll be like, you know, uh, Jane Doe, mother of five. Uh, and it's always for women. It's always like mildly sexist. It's always like, it doesn't feel mild at all to me. When I read these, I'm like, what the fuck? How are you allowed to say these things? It's always like, you know, high school principal, but effortlessly beautiful. Mother of 12, but effortlessly beautiful. And you're like, wait, what? Um, so, or, or it'll be like, if it's an executive, it'll say female executive. But yeah. if it was a male executive, it would just say executive. So you're yeah. like, okay, I get that it's a female because I'm auditioning for it. You don't need to qualify that. Honestly, though, that happens in real life. Like there's oh, I have a yeah. lot of feelings about like the fempreneur, mompreneur, you know, female aunt, like all of those qualifiers to me feel reductive. Um, mm-hmm. Like, but I'm the same entrepreneur is that guy why do you have to say that I'm a girl version exactly so it's pervasive in all industries I guess Uh, yeah there's there's female novelist female doctor and it's just like she's a doctor period yeah it's very frustrating yeah this pilot this female pilot that is very much a hero and landed uh this plane when the engine went down has been referred to as a female pilot whereas sully was just referred to as a hero yeah and you know she's not getting a movie and if she does oh no so focused on her journey as a female instead of like her being a badass pilot and she'll be played by like some sexy booby lady and you're like years younger than her actually exactly exactly yeah. Well, I hope you get that role. <laughs> you got this girl. Uh, I do. I do. Just to be a little bit girly though. I do love her hair. <laughs> Listen, like, I think there's a like lot to be this. said. Yeah. She's, she's kind of an amazing, well-rounded, like incredible woman, but she's a badass. It's hard. It's hard to be a woman right now. Let's just be honest. But I think, yeah. cause it, you know, there is a lot to be said for embracing femininity and embracing what makes us women versus just trying to cram everybody into the same box because we are different. But I think what it comes down to is the opportunity and the, the labeling just for the sake of labeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, that's what happens a lot with these audition looks. So I get these breakdowns and it's funny because I audition mostly for commercials, um, but also television shows and movies. And I was getting jaded especially with the commercial stuff, um, because it's a lot of, like you said, it's a lot of like rejection. It's a lot of running around town. It's a lot of like changing in my car and like waiting and reading these scripts that I'm, that are not speaking to me, but it's like, I got to work. And I started to get really frustrated with it. And I realized I was getting bitter showing up to auditions and that's no way to, you know, book a job. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, I started, I decided to have fun with it. And I was like, what if I posted these looks on Instagram and the descriptions of exactly what I'm auditioning for? And then I, and then it just became like a game. So normally, because sometimes, especially for commercials, they ask for very specific looks for no reason. It'll be like, we want you to be in a purple tank top. And it's like, what if I don't have a purple tank top? Like, you gotta go buy one? What the hell? Right. And it's just an audition. Like if you book the job, they'll have one on set. Right. So can I wear a blue tank top? I can't top? imagine you in a purple tank top. Exactly, like your brain exactly. is that limited. It's exactly. So 
I used to get so frustrated with those and I was, and they'd be like in Santa Monica and they'd want me to like dress like a cheerleader. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I don't have time for this. And then I realized if I made it a game, it suddenly became fun, fun and it flipped the script. So now when I get an insane one, I get so excited and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to make such a good audition look. And I just did it for myself to kind of, you know, keep it fun. And I just had a really unexpected response to it from actors and non-actors alike, because actors have told me that they're like, thank you for exposing how ridiculous this is. And also actors have reached out to me and said that they have, if they're auditioning for like a young mom and they don't know what to wear, they'll look up my audition. Oh, that's amazing. Which is very flattering. You're becoming the template. Exactly. And non-actors will often, like you said, just be like, this is, I can't believe this is real and that this is what your day-to-day life is. The question I get the most is, are these actual real auditions? Like you're making these up, right? I don't think you could. I don't think you could make them up. They're that ridiculous and detailed. Yeah, I, I just post word for word. I take out um, any details that hint at what the project is because I, I'm not allowed to like sure. say things like that. But other than that, it's just verbatim what the audition look, what the breakdown is. And yeah, actors, just love it too. They're like, I love that you're showing how crazy this is and also how much I have to pound the pavement. Like people, right. I'm not like super famous or anything, but I have worked consistently and people assume if you've been on like a big show that you're like rolling in it and you just yeah. have job offers all the time. And that's not what it's like. Um, I actually have taught this workshop a few times called the business of acting mm. and it's aimed at people just starting out in the industry and kind of everything I wish people had told me when I was starting out. And one of the things I talk about in that workshop is, listen, if you're doing this for the money, don't Mm. (laughs) because you're not going to make as much money as you think you are. And you're going to have to consistently be pounding the pavement. And especially now um, with like streaming and Netflix shows, you don't make as much money on those shows Um, You can't, I'm on a Netflix show now and that comes out, uh, I think in August. Yep. So by the time this airs, it'll be out. It will be out. It's called Best Worst Weekend Ever. Check it out. It's a kid's show. Um, And it was really fun to do, but I didn't really make much money off of it because Netflix pays a lot less than networks. Also, if you're a guest star, like I was on Parks and Rec, you make a lot of money for that week, but you're only there like a few weeks out of the year. Um, so yeah, in this workshop that I teach, I talk about that and I'm like, don't do this for the money. Also a lot of commercials now, I just read that 60% of commercials are now using non-union actors. So that means I can't do them. Um, oh, so that doesn't just mean it's open to non-union. It means any, like it only can be non-union. It only can be non-union and it pays far less. Wow. So uh, and that also means sometimes you don't make residuals off of it. Again, I couldn't do them cause I'm in the union, but it is, it's really hard to make a living as a working actor now. Um, you know, a few years ago I booked, I would book like five or six commercials a year and that doesn't happen anymore because there just aren't as many of them. Hmm. So it, the industry's making a big shift and that's part of the reason why I'm writing more now too, because you have to diversify unless you're like the lead on a show, you really have to diversify. There's so much in there that that runs parallel to regular jobs, obviously. Absolutely. It's so fascinating. I think there's a lot to be said for the fact that, you know, people really hate the job hunting process. And a lot of it comes down to 
finding the job, getting the interview, nailing the interview, <clears throat> and then it being the right fit at all. And that's most of your day to day. Yeah. It's the worst part of finding a new job. <laughs> yeah. Over and over. Over and over. And not just about your brain. It's almost not at all about your brain. It's more physical and the way yeah. you sound and the way you look and the way it's, I mean, yeah, I think you have to have a certain level of not even confidence, but like thick skin doesn't even cover it. Um, but just that ability to just be a warrior day in and day out, knowing that you love what you do so much that it's worth it. Yeah, it it is hard. It, it's funny because people will talk about that a lot, like the cliche of acting with all the rejection, but it's just the baseline. So I just, I'm just used to it now. Like if I get a callback or I get something like that's an exciting thing and that's like a you know, that's a perk obviously mm -hmm. to work. Um, but I don't expect to get anything. I don't walk into jobs expecting to get them. Granted, there are moments when I do deal with that rejection when it's like a job that I really, really want or a script that really speaks to me or a director mm -hmm. I really want to work with. And that's when, uh, that's when I'll get emotional. That's when I'll cry, but that only happens once every like year, there'll be like one job that I didn't get that I was like, I really wanted that one. But overall, I'm, I just expect not to get things. So your baseline for happiness is probably just a lot lower, <laughs> which yeah. is great. No, I think that's a really yeah. great thing. I mean, we, we talk about it on the show all the time about how we actually need very little to be happy in life, yeah. right? We all just have really high expectations for a million reasons, you know, one of which absolutely is social media and having a window into everybody else's seemingly perfect lives. But, yeah. you know, I think coming at things from a baseline of not expecting and just being happy if something does happen probably saves you from a lot of heartache and it keeps you being able to be resilient. Yeah, but it's a hard uh, uh, place to rewire your brain to get to. Yeah. How, how many years into your acting career did it take till you were like, okay, you know what? I'm going to look at this differently. <laughs> I mean, I tried to do it right from the get go. Um, and you know, in the beginning, you're just excited to get auditions, to get real auditions. So I think you just have to be realistic about your goals, uh, and know what, what things to celebrate and, and getting a job is an obvious thing to celebrate. But when you're just starting out, like getting a real audition for a real TV commercial is something to, audit, to something to celebrate. Right. So, so I was just, those wins. Exactly. And I was just excited about those little things. Like right now I have a couple of scripts that are in development and chances are the numbers are pointing to <clears throat> that all of them will go away and I will make no money from any of them. But I have to be excited about the fact that they're in development because yeah. I've never had this many scripts in development. So I have to be like, be excited about those little victories. Right. Um, but it gets hard. It gets depressing. And that's why a lot of performers are depressed. Mm. I, start, I feel hard. like especially comedians. Oh, yeah. Especially. Like comedy writers above all. I dated a comedy writer for a bit. Oh, and that I'm was sorry. real hard, man. I was like, well, never again. <laughs> This was terrible. Yeah, it's intense. And and that's also why I think we're drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's an intensity and it's it's probably the same people that love getting a lot of tattoos and piercings. There's something about yeah. that thrill and the adrenaline when it does go through and when it does work. And I mean, I think people that love to perform, whether you're a speaker or a teacher or an actor or a musician, there is something in you that craves that. And right. it's not, I don't even know if it's the attention so much as 
I don't know, being able to just do what you're great at and what comes naturally to you and have others get to absorb it and feel that and know that like, oh, for a brief moment, I was, I was what was entertaining them and I was holding them captive, you know? Yeah. It's a weird thing because I try to remind myself of that, but the majority of the time I feel like, I don't want to downplay acting, but the majority of the time I'm just like, I get paid to play pretend. It's not like brain surgery. I get paid to make friends for a living. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fine. Who fucking cares? I would rather do that than get paid to do brain surgery. Absolutely. But I don't know, like I have friends and boyfriends who've told me like, yeah, but you're, you are doing something good for the world because you're like making people happy and you're entertaining them. And I'm like, oh, come on. Like I'm not saving lives or teaching people. and I don't know. Like, I, do you ever watch Actors Studio with no. James Lipton? Okay. I've seen only parodies of it. <laughs> okay. So, but you get the gist of it. I get it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They take themselves so seriously. And when they have actors on there, they talk about their process and like, you know, this, how important it is. And I, I don't want to talk too much shit about people, but there are like a few actors where I'm like, oh my God, you are so insanely talented. How do you, like Emily Blunt, like just like insanity. Yeah. Um, but overall, I'm just like, we get paid to play pretend. Let's not take ourselves too seriously. Which I think is important, literally anything you do, even Absolutely. if you are doing brain surgery. Like, you know, everything is a job at the end of the day. And if you can find some sort of meaning and purpose and fulfillment in what you do, then hell yeah. Cause that's, what's going to keep you going year after year. But yeah, at the same time, it's like, let's just relax. Can yeah. Relax. Exactly. Just relax. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to go back just a little bit because I think we kind of skipped over this part of, you know, which is what I'm most excited about generally when talking to people about their careers is how did you go from, yes, this is what I would like to do when I grow up. And then, you know, you went to school for, we'll even say the responsible thing, right? Writing. Right. Um, how did you go from Georgetown to not even landing your first gig, but landing your first audition? What was that process and what was the time frame? Um, well, at Georgetown, I joined the improv troupe, which I had never done improv prior to that. Um, so I kind of learned my way as I was doing it. And I unexpectedly fell in love with comedy and improv comedy specifically. Um, I was at Georgetown in, in the improv troupe the same time as Nick Kroll and Mike Birbiglia. Um, so, and we all were kind of like discovering improv at the same time. And it was fun and exciting. And uh, I had this rush of like being on stage and making something up and people laughed at this thing I just said. And I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. I think I want to do comedy. So that kind of became my life and my college life, just like doing improv and comedy. And then when I graduated, I eventually moved to New York and became involved with the Upright Citizens Brigade. That was who's, they were just opening their theater in New York at the time, mm. right when I graduated in 99. What? <laughs> um, so I'm old. Um, I hire you for a 22 year old girl. Hey, thanks, buddy. Looking good. <laughs> thanks. So. <laughs> I just became obsessed with improv and became really involved in the UCB theater and Upright Citizens Brigade. I don't know if I said what it stood for, but that's what it stands for, guys. <laughs> and um, got my first job through them, which was a hidden camera show called Boiling Points. It was on MTV. 
And it was a kind of mean-spirited show, actually, but it was very improv-heavy, where we would put people in uncomfortable situations and see how long it took them to reach their boiling point. Was this simultaneous before or after Punked? It was around the same time, and Punk would actually steal a few of our bits, which we were not happy about. What, weren't um, they also on MTV? They were also on MTV, yeah. Okay. Um, Ashton, Yeah. They were just doing it with celebrities and we were doing right. it with celebrities. Um, but it was exciting and fun and weird. And yeah, through UCB was basically how I started my career. Because like I said, I got my first TV show off that. And then my first audition, I took like a, a commercial casting class where they like teach you how to audition for commercials. And then at the very end of the class, you can like audition for agents and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And eventually I got a commercial agent and then got a TV agent and just went from there. So I those just, things do work. Both they do work. TV, like the actual class, cause you know, we're in LA and obviously I've worked in lots of restaurants, which means I have plenty of, <laughs> um, would love to be actor friends. Yes. And, you never know what of all of these tactics actually works and which are just total scams that people are just crossing their fingers for. So it's good to know that like those commercial classes work, UCB, those kind of improv troops, they actually can happen. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I talk about this again in my business of acting class that I teach. It's, you have to find your community, whether that's um, the Atlantic Theater Company or Upright Citizens Brigade, find your community and you're going to find other like-minded people there who can help you in your career and who you can create things with. Um, But also there are, that said, there are scams out there. Like I took a couple of, and you just got to do your research. Um, Like I took one soap opera acting class that was like a total scam and I was like this is ridiculous and I didn't even want to do soap operas I was just like I need to take a class. I, I almost feel like soap operas are somewhat of a rite of passage though in a way oh yeah Maybe soap operas are one of the hardest sets to work on I've never done one but they get like no rehearsal you get the script right ahead of time you get like one take it's a lot of dialogue um, you work every day. It's not like other shows where you have like the summer off. They shoot all through That's the year. That's true. They are every single day, aren't they? Yeah. And it's, it is, and they don't get paid as much as you think they do. So it is one of the hardest jobs. And I don't know if you know this, but James Franco was on General Hospital recently. Like, oh, I think I didn't know that. Yeah. Like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. Um, because he knew that it was like a crazy work ethic and he's like, I want to try that. So they wrote that experience. Yeah. And they wrote him a character. His name is Franco and he plays an artist. It's so funny, but I I respect him for doing that. Yeah, it's almost, I don't respect him for, but I respect him for doing sure. it. <laughs> you know, I, I do like that. He's almost like getting all of the Girl Scout badges that he can for acting. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like, all right. I need one of the, I haven't done this ridiculous scenario. Yeah. Yet. And obviously yeah, he didn't need to do that for his career. He's just like, I want to see what it's like. That's cool. So, all right. So when did you move out to LA? When did that switch happen from New York? I moved out permanently about eight or nine years ago. Um, but before that, I would come out for pilot season, which is uh, roughly January to April-ish. Um, I would come out for three or four months and just audition for all the new shows that cast around that time. Um, and that was a good way to like get my feet wet and you know make relationships with the casting directors here. I, the pilot season doesn't really exist as rigidly as it once did. It used to be all the shows were cast in those three months. And now because of streaming and mid-season replacements, things are cast all throughout the year. There's still a little bit of a bump in that time, but not as much as it used to be. 
And so that just made sense for you to go ahead and move out here then. Yeah. Eventually I was like, okay, it's time. I kind of did almost everything I could in New York short of being on SNL. So, uh, which I would have loved to have done, but I never got that audition still available guys. Um, Caller, they're definitely yeah. listeners of this show. So right. I, just sit by your phone any minute. Now. Right. Uh, call me. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, there's just more, far more shows out here. There's way more work, way more things cast out here, bigger things cast out here in general. So I figured I'd do it and here I am. And I assume from your time in New York, you had a ton of people in your network that were already out here that kind of oh, yeah. were a landing pad for you. Yeah, I uh, was very hashtag blessed in the fact that I had a a group already here. Um, I did not come in blindly. There was kind of an exodus of UCB people from New York to here. So mm-hmm. a lot of my very close friends were already here. Um, even when I was like looking for a place, I was like sleeping on friends' couches and, you know, I had... I had a, a network of people here, which was, makes it so much easier. I cannot imagine moving to a new city blindly as an adult and just not knowing anyone. Like I was very lucky. <laughs> I had two friends when I moved here and <laughs> they were both friends from middle school. Yeah. One that's was, intense. Yeah. That was it. And I, yeah, it was a good lesson in like quickly rebuilding your entire life from scratch. Yeah. Um, but you know what it was, was the one friend, one of those two friends, uh, grew up in Florida together, went to middle school together, but he had gone to Syracuse. And as you're probably well aware, there are pretty much every Syracuse grad lives in LA. Yeah. <laughs> My writing partner went to Syracuse. Yeah, exactly. They have such a good film and television school. And so he had a massive network, which I just immediately parasited onto. That's um, what you got to do. You just need that one friend with that one. You just need the door. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then, yeah, you gotta, you gotta like work it and make people not feel like you're annoying and creepy. And it's definitely a delicate balance being the new girl in a group being like, hi guys, does anybody want to hang out? No, no, no. Okay. No, me neither. Me neither. I don't, I also don't want to hang out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's scary and it's hard, especially in a city like LA that has so many pockets of types of people and communities and it's not all one industry. It's a whole bunch of different industries, despite what people might think. Um, yeah, so that's good. I mean, and that's a big important piece that we talk about on this show is, you know, when you're trying to make a big move, whether it's an actual move across country or in your career, how do you lean on the people in your community and your network to have a safety net and to leverage those relationships to get ins where you wouldn't, if you were coming in from the outside or, you know, get introductions to people, get set up for coffees and cocktails. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, it is a delicate balance because you don't want to like hound people, but you also like need to, you know, make some new relationships. It's work. I mean, it's like, it's, yeah. it's like trying to date, but times a hundred because you're trying <laughs> to make like all these new friends and, you know, show your, your natural effortlessly awesomeness, but also, you know, not be a weirdo. So I found that one thing, at least for not necessarily for job networking, but for friendship stuff that when I got to LA, there was all these things that I wanted to do, um, you know, like the, the touristy stuff that I was like, I want to go to Disney and I want to do the, the things. And I would always, every time I did a thing like that, I would always send out an email to people. And it turns out that a lot of people were like, yeah, I've actually never been to LACMA. I've lived here for 10 years. Like I'll go. Yeah. So I would just like <laughs> constantly like making these groups of people to do these fun things. And that was how I survived a lot of my first years here. That's a great idea. I joined like a kickball team 
Great. That's another good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and waiting tables also helps because then you're just stuck with these people in these, you know, shitty situations where you're just commiserating with one another being like, we should go drink after this, right? (laughs) Exactly. Definitely should. Which, you know, after a certain point in time is no longer good for you, but uh, we digress. So (laughs) tell me about when you got the Parks and Recreation because we have to talk about that. Did you know what it was going to be when you got it? Because you've been on since season one, right? Were you yes. in the pilot? No, I was in the, well, I was in what was supposed to be the second episode, but then they aired it as the third episode. So. Okay. But I figured really early on. Yeah. And I remember when I was watching season one, it felt, it felt super awkward. And I was like, I hope this makes it, but this <laughs> is kind of like wannabe office, but not quite getting its own footing. And it wasn't until season two that it was like, okay, it found its rhythm. It knew what it was. It was its own thing. Um, but when you're, it's, it's always interesting to hear from actors or people that work on the shows. What did you think about it when you first either read the script or got on set? And like, did you have any idea what it could become? Um, yes and no. I mean, all, I think all shows are awkward in their first season. Like, I've watched like old Seinfelds and if you watch like the first scene of Seinfeld, you're like, what's happening? This it is so hurts. awkward. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you just, they don't have their rhythm yet. Um, but so I knew when it first came out, it was very vague about what it was. A lot of people were saying it was an office spinoff because it was the same. It was, um, Mike Sher and Greg Daniels. So everyone was like, it's an office plus Rashida was in it. So everyone was like, oh, it's an office spinoff. It's her character, uh, you know, her spinoff show, which obviously it was not. It was a similar show, but not at all in the same world. Um, when I booked it, it was just called The Amy Poehler Project. Hmm. Um, which would be enough for me, I think. I'd be like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> exactly. And I know Amy from New York and from- uh, Oh, right, because she's UCB, right? Yeah, it's her. She's one of the original founders, one of the UCB4 original people. Um, so, I, and I love Amy. I. I love her so much. I idolize her. So I was just so excited to be a part of the show. And when I got on set, the show hadn't aired yet. Um, so there was still this like exciting energy. Mm-hmm. Um, also I, I knew Aziz from New York and I knew Aubrey Plaza from New York. Um, so it was fun. Uh, mm-hmm. and it was just this like exciting energy where we knew it was going to be something, but we didn't know what yet. But I did not know that it was going to be as beloved as it is. And it, it really is just a show that is so special to me and so many people, not only because it's funny and well-written and well-acted, but because the people who created it and are, were part of it were such kind, fun people. Um, Amy specifically just set the tone for the whole show. And she's just like a lovely person. Even when she was like seven months pregnant and it was six in the morning, she like had a smile on her face and she's just an incredible human being. And also unlike many other shows, it's a show that like millennials love, but Mm -hmm. so do like my 70 year old parents, um, which is really hard to do in comedy. And it's just a really sweet, funny, cool show. And so I knew it was something special, but I didn't know it was going to be as big as it, as it is. Well, I feel like it's one of those shows that continues to get bigger and bigger, like after it's been over. I mean, because it ended, what, three years ago? Two or three yeah, years ago? Yeah, two or three years ago. And yeah, I do, recently, it's funny, I've been having a lot of friends and people I've met just telling me like, I just decided to watch Parks and Rec from the, from the beginning. And I'm like, I oh, almost, it's almost everybody I know has rewatched it at some point. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it, it's even better the second time around. And it, it's funny. So we just finished it not too long ago. And I was like, damn, 
they were kind of on for a lot of things. Like, yeah. you know, in the flash forward and the three years forward, it's a little eerie how there are a few moments where I was like, whoa, they really got this. Or, um, yeah, I don't know. I can't even think of an example right now, but I remember being like, even Bobby Newport, I was like, oh my God, this is the Hillary Trump campaign. Oh, I know, right? It's like, crazy. It was kind of nuts, but no, it is, it's a beloved show. It's so fantastic. And, you know, what I loved about your character was, you know, you were never a scene stealer. You were so, like, you fit so effortlessly into a cast that I felt like was so perfect on its own, you know? And I think that's really hard for a guest star that isn't there every single episode to do. Like, you fit. You always fit, and you didn't detract, and you always added. And, you know, after I rewatched it and knowing you now, I was like, wow, that's got to be very difficult to do from not an outsider, but kind of when you're a guest star, you're, you're essentially like the new girl yeah, every, yeah. every episode that you play and you always fit so nicely into those scenes. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, it was, I mean, a lot of that was the writing. I, even though I did get to improvise a lot, a lot of it was the writing because sometimes when I do comedy, I will like force it and I think because I come out of sketch comedy I'll like play it a little too big yeah. but the writing was just so good I didn't have to force her I just said everything very honestly and then you just kind of felt sorry for her yeah you're like when is Shauna gonna get her her chance you know when is she gonna fall in love I really yeah. wanted really wanted Rod Lowe for you but you know. well I don't know if you saw the the final and a lot of people don't know this but the final episode um there's a producer's cut online the one that aired is not the full episode there's a producer's cut no. well I know and what I'm doing tonight do you want me to tell you who Shauna winds up with yes it's a shocker tell me Bobby Newport no <laughs> which means I got to kiss Paul Rudd <laughs> all right well we know the highlight of your career yeah it was pretty it was pretty amazing my boyfriend at the time was like when I got the script I was like huh, 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 and he was like you're a little too excited <laughs> That's something I've actually always wondered. How do significant others deal with these makeout scenes and all of I, that? I mean, and I know the makeout scenes are never usually sexy in reality, but I gotta tell you, it was like, even though I was like feigning excitement and I adore Paul Rudd, it is the most awkward thing in the world. And I would give anything to never do a kiss scene ever in my life. It that is bad. It is never as cool as you think it's gonna be. I mean, maybe if it was like a drama which I don't really do or like a porn like something where you're like actually making out with them but in comedy it is always just like like I met Paul Rudd like two minutes before that scene and it was just like hi hi and I even remember the director was like can you guys look like you're like more into each other <laughs> like can you make it more passionate and we're like we don't know each other this is so weird like oh, it's just man. imagine if you were just introduced to someone on the street and then you're like okay can you kiss now and you're like you don't want to use tongue, but you want to make it look real. It is, I dread it. Like when I read scripts and it says kiss, I'm just like, literally like shooting is like before kiss and after kiss. Cause like, I just want to get that over with. Ah, man. It is never as cool as you think it's going to be. Like, it's cool because I get to tell people like, guess what I, guess who I kiss. But like in reality, it is not what you so, think. So tongue or no tongue with Paul Rudd? No tongue, no tongue. <laughs> Our tongues did not touch. I guess that's good, whatever. <sighs> but definitely, definitely watch that because there's a couple of other flash forwards um, that didn't make it into the Okay, good. Cut. Yeah, um, I wanted that episode to be three hours long. 
It is, I don't know if his made it into the regular one, but I know that it's in the producer's cup, but Jam, Councilman Jam has no. a flash, okay, he has a flash forward too. I mean, he's, John Glazer's a, just brilliant. Um, yeah, you gotta, everybody go watch the producer's yeah, cut. Yeah, no, that's, know. maybe that's we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I wanted that to go on and on forever. They did, that's maybe my favorite finale of any show. Because it was so like, fun. They just gave you everything you wanted, which you never get. I feel like shows are like, mm, we know you want it to end this way, but we're not going <laughs> to do that because it's not up to you. And they, right. they're like, we're going to give you everything in this. Exactly. Exactly. We're going to make you cry. It's going to be great. Yeah. It was so good. Amazing. So what are you most excited about right now? And I guess for the next like couple years, because obviously you're ramping up the writing, which is smart. You're diversifying like what you're doing and taking more control over your own career. Cause I have to imagine like the auditioning, even if you make it fun, it's gotta be like, all right, am I going to do this fucking forever? Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. exactly. Um, I mean, the, I'm most excited about the writing, about these writing projects I have going on. Um, I have three movies that I'm in development with two of them. Ideally we would like sell and have big stars be in. Um, and the third one I'm writing with another writing partner, um, my best friend, Aaron Gibson, who does a podcast called Throwing Shade. She's a brilliant comedian. Um, and she and I are writing a movie that we want to produce on our own and star in as like an indie comedy. Nice. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it would be really fun. So that's what I'm excited about too, these movies. And so you're, you're focusing on writing mostly movies, not shows, nothing like that. I have written a couple pilots, but I'm really enjoying the, the movie world. You get to like, just blow it out. Right. Um, That's true. I mean, I got, do you look at HBO now and it's like every single episode is an entire movie. Exactly. Thrones is bananas. And it's like to be a writer on those shows. So like I said, I dated a comedy writer and he was on like a half hour sitcom and uh, that was enough. Like that was exhausting enough. I can't yeah. imagine like you know, an hour show or something like that week Ugh. after week. That's got to be intense. So intense. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So if you had any advice for, we'll say 20 year old Allison, what would you tell her? <laughs> uh, I would tell her definitely to start writing more earlier. Um, not just focus on the acting off the bat. I would tell her, I would tell her to diversify earlier Yeah. and use more sunscreen. <laughs> What were you thinking? Dude, I'm uh, from Florida. The, the, the time hops that I look at now of me like 15 years ago, I was looking at one this morning. I texted it to my friend. It was from 2000, what year are we in? 18, it was from like 2004. And we're so tan and my hair is so blonde. And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> why? Why are you doing this to our skin? Please stop. That's we real. We thought it looked good, yeah. Real and, talk. Yeah. And then on top of that, we would like go to fake tan. Oh God, all the time. Like not, not spray tan y'all. Fake no, tan. No, 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 no. Like, I spray, tan the cancer from, in my body. I'm from Jersey. I was like, uh. oh yeah. So same, same, same. Oh man. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Real and honest and telling us about Paul Rudd's um, terrible kissing skills. We're just going <laughs> to. No, I didn't say that. Terrible kisser. <laughs> <laughs> the terrible reality of kissing hot celebrities. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I think, I think all of this, like the audition looks is an important thing, albeit funny. I think, you know, I didn't bring this up earlier, but for me, it does give an appreciation of the sense of hard freaking work that goes into being a successful working actor. Um, 
I think for you, like defining success on your own terms is an important piece of, of remaining happy and resilient year after year. And yeah, I think there were a lot of really great parallels between everything. <coughs> said and, and in reality, people that just have a damn day job, you mm-hmm. know, it's all about resiliency and kind of reminding yourself that this is, this is just work. You guys, like, it's not that big of a deal. We're not, exactly. we're not changing the world. And even right. if we are like, come on, let's just relax. <laughs> Everybody just relax. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Allison. Thanks, we will link to really? all of your upcoming projects in the show notes, thank including you. the past uh, project of Parks and Rec producers cut, which I'm <laughs> probably going to go watch as soon as we come up. So <laughs> right. thank you so much. And y'all, we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.